0: We have Adam Bratton. He's the executive director of the Nonprofit Partnership. Adam, welcome to the Joel Natale Show.
1: Thanks, Joel. It's my pleasure to be a part of it.
0: All right. So uh, we we like, it's a family show. We like to find out where people come from. So what's your
1: origin story? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get to Erie? Sure. Um, I grew up just over the border in uh, Jamestown, New York. Um, and uh uh, have always had a connection to northwestern PA because right after high school I went to college at allegheny college in in Meadville uh, after allegheny i I went down to uh, washington d c to get my master's and worked there uh, for about seven years in kind of public advocacy groups and and that sort of thing um, uh, got married and and had a <clears throat> had a child and discovered that we wanted to uh, Uh, have a a different uh, way of life than than a big city like D.C., uh, and was offered a job uh, back in my alma mater at Allegheny. Came back to uh, work at Allegheny for a couple years, uh, and since then have worked in um, western New York and in Erie at a variety of organizations, including uh, the Achievement Center and the Barber Center, and now here with the Nonprofit partnership.
0: I would imagine DC would have been interesting in public advocacy. I mean, did did you do
1: any big protests or anything? Or no, <laughs> no. Mine, uh, my my realm was really kind of uh, good government, um, best practices in in in, in government. Uh, so we worked a lot with uh, the federal government and, um, and and the legislative side, in, in just ensuring. Uh, that, our, that our government uh, worked and functioned in the, the healthiest way possible uh, and advocated for those practices. Uh, we also did uh, kind of celebration and awareness activities around uh, public service and that sort of thing, encouraging individuals to, um, uh, to pursue careers in public service. Uh, so it, it, was a, it was a great time. It was, uh, uh, D.C. was a fantastic city, especially for a young person. Very young, young city. Uh, so it was uh, it was a great time. It's just, you know, uh, once you uh, have those life changes with uh, children and family uh, looking for for something different. But uh, I wouldn't have tried that time uh, for anything. Yeah, uh, we have to make sure that
0: our legislators have you on speed dial for for good government best practice. All right. So let's switch gears. What is the state? Of our nonprofits here in
1: Erie, as you see it, All right. The nonprofit uh, sector is strong, vibrant. Um, uh, we uh, the the sector as a whole, the best that kind of we can engage, makes up anywhere from ten to fourteen percent of the workforce. Um, <clears throat> has a significant impact on the quality of life uh, in Erie and, and in, in the U.S. nationally. Um, is a diverse uh, a group of nonprofits, so uh, a strong representation, obviously, in health and human services, education, arts and cultural, uh, so really diverse uh, nature to the makeup of of the sector. Uh, we are a capacity-building organization that has a membership of nonprofits, and so we have about 350, 365 people Nonprofits, primarily in Erie County, uh, but throughout northwestern PA, uh, and uh, and and the the range of those nonprofits go from all volunteer to organizations to uh, some of the biggest agencies and employers in in uh, in our region. Um, with uh, tens of millions of dollars in in annual budget, so it's a it's a it's a diverse sector. It's a it's a sector that's that's key to a healthy community, uh, and uh, hopefully we we can help play a role in 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 making sure that uh, that sector is as strong as possible.
0: We're talking to Adam Bratton. He's the executive director of the nonprofit partnership. And, um, you know, the state defines a charity generally as an organization that alleviates the burden of government for a specific need. I mean, it's it's that uh, I can't remember hub uh, test or whatever. But what are some of the inspiring stories that you could tell of nonprofit work here in Erie?
1: Well, um, you know, one extremely inspiring story was one of the agencies that I most recently worked with. Um, the Achievement Center here in Erie. Uh, I was a director of development for, for the Achievement Center, blessed to work with that organization for almost four years. Um, agencies like that often fly under the radar. People don't really, uh, unless they have had direct um, uh, direct work with that agency or those agencies don't really know what they do or, or what kind of impact they do, but an agency like that works with... Uh, 3,500, 4,000 kids every year dealing with any kind of uh, challenge, physical, mental, behavioral, uh, really changing and saving the lives of uh, children and families in our communities. Um, And again, people just don't even know that they exist. And that's, you know, that's a, uh, a, I guess, a blessing and and, and a curse to the the sector because uh, most of the sectors just focused in on doing the good work that they do. Um, uh, don't spend a lot of time promoting what they do and and creating awareness of of what they do. Um, And so often um, we can uh, sometimes either have a lack of understanding of their impact on our community or just don't really understand what the the real impact of of the charitable sector is in, in communities like Erie.
0: Yeah, four thousand kids. That's that's pretty
1: astounding. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it was it, it's a it's a shocking number, but that was on, on an annual basis. Um, at least when I was there, I think it was about thirty five hundred, anywhere from thirty five hundred to to four thousand children, and and that doesn't you know include their families. So you know uh, the, the families were impacted by the services, and so the 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 circles beyond that uh, impact even even more. Um, people in our community and that's just one agency Um, you know there's there's multiple agencies just like uh, the Achievement Center uh, and multiple groups that do great work again largely under the radar. You know, the mission of the Nonprofit Partnership
0: is to enhance the management and governance of regional nonprofit organizations through that capacity building programs and services. So, you know, how do you see nonprofits doing? Do you see improved practices? Do you see improved capacity?
1: I think so. Yeah, we, Erie is somewhat unique to have an organization like the Nonprofit Partnership. You will see. Um, a capacity building organizations like ours in much larger cities, Washington, D.C., New York City, Chicago, places like that. Um, the Erie Community Foundation, which was the founding organization of the nonprofit partnership, was somewhat visionary in, in bringing this model to a smaller city like Erie uh, and, and did so as a program of the Community Foundation in 2001. And then we became our own organization in 2007 we still work very closely with the foundation but um, have have a have a different mission and and purpose Um, but again it's 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 somewhat unique uh, to Erie at least for an organization the size of Erie for nonprofits to have access to the services that we can provide so we provide a lot of professional development education uh, consulting uh, one-on-one help with nonprofits and their leadership and their boards uh, to ensure that um, they have access to best practice resources. They have access to um, experts in the field, and we see um, great growth from uh, both individuals and organizations in their ability to to achieve their mission. Uh, and and hopefully, we've had an impact on that. Um, this morning, for example, we had. 15, 17 professionals in our uh, training room um, as part of a, 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 an intensive fundraising course. And those folks are taking back what they learned to their agencies to raise more money uh, for their individual groups, and that's just uh, one morning that we have here at the partnership. That's replicated uh, multiple times a week uh, in in a number of ways. And again, um, nonprofits in Erie uh, have access to these resources um, as as members of the partnership. Define capacity for the layperson. What does that mean? It it really means the ability to accomplish their mission. So we're increasing their ability to. Um, accomplish the mission, and and that's what the nonprofit sector is driven by, the mission, which can be somewhat unreachable or or intangible in many ways, Um, but we're building up the infrastructure, whether it's staffing, um, personnel, uh, resources, access to funding, that sort of thing, uh, in order for them uh, to be able to achieve that mission. So it's it's really building up the ability of them uh, to do the great work that they're doing.
0: My guest uh, to start our conversation about the state of nonprofits is Adam C. Bratton. He is the executive director of the Nonprofit Partnership. It's a capacity building. Uh, program uh, that started back in 2001 and, and really literally trains hundreds of practitioners in the nonprofit sector about governance and, and uh, you know, fundraising and good marketing and best practices. You, you got a great job, Adam.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. I think I was built for it. Uh, you know, my, my career. Um, I did all those things. I, I, was, I, I was in the marketing. I was in the fundraising. I, I, I ran an organization. I've served on boards. Um, so in, in, in addition to my educational background, which was in nonprofit management, I've also had that kind of diverse experience. So it's, um, it's a great job for what I want to do. And um, I think I have the, uh, the, the ability to, to speak uh, to many different folks within the sector, about what they do because I've, I've done it. It's just not a theoretical uh, or, or an academic uh, a, approach. I've, I've been in their shoes.
0: Let's go into the
1: shoes of maybe
0: the donor or the volunteer. What should a donor or volunteer look for in considering
1: to help a nonprofit? I think the um, most important thing is is what impact is that organization having? Uh, and that seems like a kind of big, nebulous thing. But um, there's, there's ways of looking at that, uh, looking how they communicate that um, to the community. But that's the most important thing. You know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of resources for donors and others to look at things like overhead and um, uh, tax forms and things like that. That doesn't really tell any story of, of what a nonprofit does. It's, it's really about what impact they're having on the community, and and how that um, ties into what they're interested in. So uh, the donor needs to be interested in that mission in order to uh, really want to engage and invest. The volunteer, um, you know, our time's probably much more important than even our money these days, um, uh, volunteer the same. Um, so really what impact, what that mission is and uh, is vision of the organization is hoping to accomplish um, and and how they can kind of buy into that.
0: What kind of expectation of transparency should like a, p- a potential donor
1: have of an of a agency? Sure. Uh, nonprofits, just um, uh, as they're constructed, uh, need to be uh, completely transparent. they um, uh, their, uh, their financial statements should be readily available their audited financial statements hopefully should be ready to readily available um, non- nonprofits have to submit an annual 990 form which is kind of our tax form to the IRS which contains a lot of information including our financial state uh, and health um, so there is a lot of information out there if donors um, cannot find it, if a nonprofit maybe is small, doesn't have a website, what have you, um, you can always uh, call up and ask for that information, and uh, the nonprofits need to provide it. Um, so really complete and open transparency. There, there shouldn't be anything that a nonprofit uh, shouldn't be willing to share outside of things like personnel. Uh, issues and that sort of thing, but just the general state and health of the organization. Uh, all nonprofits should be very open and, and upfront about that. And donors, and volunteers, and others shouldn't shouldn't hesitate to ask uh, ask those questions.
0: Let's talk about jobs. You had said that there's. Uh, a double digit percentage of folks that are in the nonprofit sector that are fully employed uh here in Erie now with the general aging of our community, our nonprofit leaders worried about finding talent and you know uh what do you think about that?
1: no, I think it's probably the the opposite and and we're you know we're we're going through a strategic planning process here at the partnership and so part of that process has been to Uh, talk to our members survey our members uh, as well as uh, other stakeholders in the community and some themes are coming back one is um, we're being told that there's um, not the available workforce that they need and so I think some uh, a number of the nonprofits are uh, are in need of 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 a capable workforce to uh, uh, accomplish their mission especially in the health and human services realm Um, I think what we're also facing, and this isn't just uh, for the nonprofit sector, but um, uh, the baby boomer retirement uh, is is happening and will be happening for the next, whatever, two decades. Um, but that's going to create a significant uh, deficit in um, leadership, especially in the nonprofit sector. So the for-profit sector um, has the resources and invests in the overhead to deal with staff development, professional development, and there's a there's a conscious effort within the for-profit sector to develop leaders within. Um, because that's categorized as overhead in the nonprofit sector, we're um, kind of told or trained not to invest in that. And so this baby boomer retirement generation is going to impact us a lot more. Uh, and you'll see um, especially at the leadership levels, um, unless we deal with it and prepare for it in the nonprofit sector, you're going to see some real, um, some real deficits in leadership uh, at that level. So I don't, I don't think, and I have not seen or heard um, the fact that there aren't jobs available. It's kind of the, the the opposite.
0: Well, and again, you know, you think about, you know, with the with the lack of workforce. Is there now more upward pressure to raise wages, especially in those jobs? And some, some you mentioned health and human services. Some of those jobs are notorious for low pay. Is there a lot of pressure on leadership of these organizations
1: to raise pay? There is, there is, and and there's going to be more. Um, that's just a, a fact of the matter. When. Um. Uh the, uh. the the biggest generation there, maybe except for the millennials, the biggest generation there is leaving the workforce. Um. Uh, there's going to be much more competition for the workforce, and so we're going to have to deal with that. And that's investing in 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 staff uh, and the development of staff. So I I would I would assume that yeah, this is something that we're going to have to face. Uh, if we're not. Well, I know I know agencies are already facing um, the the competition that exists, uh, especially am, amongst um, highly educated workers uh, in certain fields and and the need to do things that they haven't had to do before, like. Uh, um, sign-on bonuses and and um, and contracts and that sort of thing that just haven't haven't existed before in the sector. Well, yeah, and you hear this drumbeat of
0: fifteen dollars an hour. You've got people that are doing direct care that you know make about eleven or twelve, maybe you know. And, and then you know it's all connected to what kind of reimbursements are coming from the state or federal government. It it kind of seems like it's going to all crash together. Am I am I gloom and doom, doom here, or is it reality?
1: No, it's reality. And the sector um, is going to have to advocate for itself um, with the with the reimbursement levels at the government uh, at the government side or on the insurance side, uh, and and ensure that that keep keeps up with the the inevitable uh, rise in in, in, in wages and, and and how much it costs to put on these services and and um, yeah it's 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 a big issue and one we're talking about here at the nonprofits I- internally and we'll be talking about it externally it's um, the next couple of decades with the workforce is a huge issue uh, one last question you know what do you wish? Nonprofit
0: leaders spent more time on to improve their nonprofits. What what would you, if they could focus in on you know specific things? What would you say?
1: I would say developing their staff. Um, the you know the, the the sector is made up of people. Uh, we don't have uh, manufacturing facilities. We don't have a lot of equipment and and capital that we invest in. Our our you know we provide services through the people that we employ. Uh, and so if that's the one area that I would hope nonprofit leaders invested the m- majority of their time in is really building up their staff, uh, making them as capable as possible to, uh, to helping the organization uh, achieve their mission. And, you know, an invested staff is also going to be a staff that sticks around and, and, and do uh, and, and a happier staff and a, a staff with increased morale is a more productive staff. So it, it just makes good business sense um, for those leaders to develop in, uh develop the people uh, that work within the sector.
0: Adam Branton, he is the executive director of the Nonprofit Partnership. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today.
1: It's great, Joel. I'm so happy for what you guys are doing. And uh, uh, whatever we can do to help, we're, we're happy to do so.
0: More in a moment on the Joel Natale Show right here on TalkEerie.com. Well, hold up there, Joel. We've got about a minute to go left. It is 3.57. Coming up, we're going to hear from uh, uh, Mike Bachelor. He is the uh, president of the Erie Community Foundation. So have you heard of Erie Gives, that big $4 million giving festival? Well, that comes from the Erie Community Foundation. And so it's a chance for you know everyday folk to give twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, two hundred dollars to their favorite charity or to multiple different causes. And then you know the Erie Community Foundation deals with people that want to give fifty thousand and a hundred thousand or even a million dollars to uh, charities and, and create these funds. Uh, and you can create a donor advised fund with as little as fifty thousand dollars, which you know to you know, to create like that endowment that would, you know, gather interest and gather, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, be invested and in, and get returns from that investment and, and be able to help, you know, the, the the kinds of charities that you want to support in perpetuity uh, well into the future without even touching your initial investment. And so uh, Mike Bachelor is the expert on that. So he's coming up uh, right after the news. And of course we're going to hear from M, uh, from MS Footprints. Uh, Tracy Daly will be here at 4.30. And then at 5 o'clock, it's Ray Overholt. And we have Mike Batchelor. He is the president of the Erie Community Foundation. Michael, thank you for joining us here on the Joel Natale Show. Uh, tell us a little bit about your origin
2: story. Where'd you grow up? How'd you get to Erie? Yeah, good morning, Joel, and thanks for the interview. Um, so, my story is that uh, my wife is an Erie native. Um, came from the Shecona Candy family, if any of your listeners may remember that uh, way back. And um, we were higher ed people in, uh, she was working at Youngstown State, and I was at Hiram College. We came to Erie on the weekends from Ravenna, Ohio, where we lived, and we said, we love this place, and let's try to make our life here. So that was uh, now, geez, almost 30, over 30 years ago, and it's been great, and we, uh, we, we love this community, and we're doing everything we can to try to make it better.
0: Is your background in finance? Is it in philanthropy? What is it?
2: Yeah, so I thought I would be, I was in higher ed. Uh, I worked for uh, Hiram, uh, Kent State, uh, and I came here to work for Villa Maria College in Gannon. So I was in institutional advancement, uh, fundraising, community relations. I have a master's in public policy analysis and an undergrad in journalism. So I had never heard of a community foundation until I was 30, somewhere around there. Um, so in hindsight, I have a good fit for this type of work, but it was really a, a case of, um, the right place at the right time. So
0: from where you sit and you, you sit at a pretty, um, uh, you know, overview
2: perch, what is the state of Erie's nonprofits? Yeah. So we like to describe the foundation as sitting at the intersection of great wealth and great need. Um, we talk to nonprofits every day who, uh, need money to accomplish their mission Uh, They tell us uh, the work that they're doing. And then we talk to donors every day who have funds that are interested in helping the community and want to do good work. So it is an interesting perch. Uh, The state of nonprofits in Erie, um, there are, boy, at least 400 that are, you know, of size and substance, have phones and executive directors. And um, beyond that, there are You know, literally a thousand if you count, you know, little things that are in desk drawers that are nonprofit by tax status. Generally speaking, and some of this is through the work of the nonprofit partnership, which we created um, to build the capacity of nonprofits. I think things have gotten much better. Um, There are always going to be situations, as there are in the for-profit world, where things don't go well. But generally speaking, I've seen nonprofits being more collaborative than ever. Uh, more creative than ever, um, and um, uh, dedicated and professional.
0: So, the mission of the Erie Community Foundation is to improve the quality of life for all in our region by evaluating and addressing community issues, by building permanent charitable endowments, and by promoting philanthropic philanthropic and community leadership. So let's do a little version of how it's made. You know, that yeah. science channel show. Uh-huh. Each year, the foundation gives out millions. How does that work? Where does the money come
2: from? So uh, we are a collection of endowed funds. Uh, there are over 800 of them, and it grows every year. And each of those endowed funds is like a little company. Uh, Donors set them up to accomplish particular charitable purposes. About a third of these endowed funds are unrestricted. And that's the money we give away on a competitive basis. And if you you see my picture with a a big check, uh, there's a time-tested competitive grants process that we do each quarter. Uh, Another third, roughly, of the funds are scholarship funds. And we award um, hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarships every year. And another third, roughly, are what we call uh, donor-advised or designated funds. And these, in a sense, are, uh, the law is a little different, but they're like private foundations that somebody sets up here to accomplish a particular purpose. Uh, We do all the due diligence. We do all the check processing. The recognition flows to the donor. So instead of creating your own fund, we're like somebody's back office. So if you put that all together... Uh, last year we made grants of, I think it was, uh, over $20 million, uh, to thousands really of different nonprofit organizations. So there's a lot of paper that flows through here. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of due diligence and, uh, we do, you know, we, we have a nice perch to know what the needs are in the community. Do you get a
0: little heartburn or achita when the the stock market drops a couple hundred points? Yeah, we
2: do. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into our investment management. Uh, we have a, 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 a committee that we've appointed to do this. We have a consulting firm. Um, and the, I guess the good thing is we're invested for the, a perpetual time frame. So when it drops, we don't make any rash moves. But it does hurt uh, when you see, uh, you know, a million dollars go down or two million, which, which r- literally happens. However, on the, on the flip side... Uh, In 2017, we made 15.4%. So in that year, we probably, in market value, went up, you know, 27 million just with investments. That's incredible. so, So one of the interesting things for me, having been here so long, is this whole place was 20 million when I started, and we now have, I think, three out of the last four years, we've had over 20 million of gifts. We've had investment returns of over 20 million. So it. It just demonstrates the power of compounding and the power of, um, you know, uh, the uh, pipeline, I guess. We've worked hard to encourage people to consider making gifts to us, and we're seeing the results. Did you ever dream it would grow to this level? I, I really didn't. Uh, I was, remember thinking I'd be very thrilled to cross $100 million. Um, and I, I really hope we'll be $300 million in the relatively near future. We're
0: talking to Mike Batchelor. He's the president of the Erie Community Foundation here on the Joel Natale Show. So let's talk about the agencies, the foundation funds. Share a story or two where a grant made a life-changing difference in the lives of our neighbors.
2: So there's big grants that do that, and then there's little small grants that do that. And um, the, the big grants, I'll, I'll start with that one. I mean, things we're working on now include the Innovation District, That was a $4 million grant, and that's producing companies that are, you know, headquartering in Erie. And if one of them takes off, we'll look back and we'll say, oh, my gosh, this is the the best grant we've ever made because it creates a new industry in our community. So those are big and exciting things that can benefit everything, Uh, community. The Wayne School-Based Health Center is another one that we helped create. That was a large grant with a lot of people involved. Now, the small ones there are thousands of stories of the little small grants that make a huge difference um One that comes to mind is the the upper room is a good one to talk about um, That's a very small organization that that helps people you know really down on their luck uh, they raise i believe most of their money one day through Erie gives so they can you know spend the rest of their time focusing on mission um, so we make a lot of you know five thousand dollar grants four thousand dollar grants um we just made a grant to help um, a baseball field in uh, East County, um, and you know everybody in that community, you know, loves softball, and we put a new fence up. So that's the kind of work we get to do every day. That's
0: really exciting. So let's talk about Erie Gives. It's kind of like a online festival of philanthropy.
2: Yeah, it is, and this is in a way it's off-mission because everything else we do, three hundred and sixty-four other days of the year, is building endowments and working with donors and, you know, creating, talking about perpetuity. This is one day, massive fundraising, money comes in, money goes out. And we created this to honor our 75th anniversary back in 2011. And we knew about this program around the country and we said, let's try it, NERI. And the first year we were blown away. We had 212 nonprofits receiving $775,000. That was amazing. Well, lo and behold, that was just the beginning and the tip of the iceberg. So it's grown every year to last year, 381 nonprofits receiving $4.4 4 million, almost $4.5 million in just 12 hours uh, in one day, primarily online, although we do accept some other gifts. Um, so there's a little com- competition that goes on here. I think the nonprofits are excited. Uh one of the best values, honestly, the money's important, but it gives us a chance to talk about philanthropy. It gives the community a chance to feel good about something. It demonstrates the power of people working together, and it brings money into Erie. Uh, last year, I think, I don't know, it was 47 states, uh, 12 foreign countries. It appeals to younger donors, so it's a good thing. We'll keep doing it, and we'll see, um, you know, we'll see how it goes this year. We're talking to Mike Batchelor.
0: He is the president of the Erie Community Foundation. When we get back, we're going to talk about, you know, do we have too many nonprofits in Erie? Stay tuned. And we're back with Mike Batchelor. He is the president of the Erie Community Foundation. Mike, thanks for taking the time for being on the show here. Sure. Happy to do it. All right. So, uh, you know, Erie's known to be a generous community, resource rich environment for people in need. but. Do we have too many nonprofits? I know the ECF has a special fund to kind of help agencies uh, consider a merge.
2: Yeah, we do. And this was actually driven by an individual donor who uh, came to us and has concerns about efficiencies and uh, encouraging people to work together. So we do have a, a program set up right now to encourage nonprofit mergers. Um, do we have too many? That's a tough question to answer. Um, There are clearly some efficiencies that could be generated, Um, just like the Erie Community Foundation could also be a branch of the Pittsburgh Foundation. So I get it. Uh, I understand the passion when people want to create their own nonprofit, and uh, it's difficult for them to consider working with others. We do encourage that. Uh, Frankly, every grant application that comes to us, the first question is when they're going to start a new one. Have you considered working with somebody else? And there are stories where we've encouraged that. Uh, People have a great idea, and they say, well, you know, the Y does something similar to that, and consider talking to them. And why create your own phone and your own computer and your own van and your own building when you could be an employee of somebody else? So uh, are there too many? Uh, I'm not wise enough to say that, although I do understand there are efficiencies that, that could be generated, and people should think about that. Do you think that there's room for maybe some entrepreneur out there to be kind of a service provider to a lot of these nonprofits? Yeah, we've tried that. In fact, we funded that in a few places. Okay. Uh, I think if I have my memory right, we've given money to, well, I, I think it's our theory. I hope I'm not wrong about that. But there are some organizations we've given money to to help them hire an accountant who can do accounting work for more than one organization, as an example. Um, so yeah, that does go on and, um, uh, people maybe don't tell that story enough. Um, but, uh, there's probably room for more of that. Let's talk about this, um,
0: investment that these, this thirty million dollar yeah. five five-year investment, yeah. explain
2: it and where is it going? Yeah. So I think the big story here to put it in context is decades ago, we were a totally reactive grant maker. We would sit and wait for people to give us ideas. And that's how we made grants. Over time, we've become a proactive grant maker. Um, So that journey, that arc, um, started about uh, 2006, I think, when we created the framework we still talk about, Helping Today and Shaping Tomorrow. Helping Today is our traditional reactive grant making. Shaping Tomorrow is our proactive grant making. And in 2006, we divided our unrestricted grant dollars in half. We put 50% in one pot, 50% in another pot. We've had some success with Shaping Tomorrow, and some of the things that we like to talk about are, are the result of being proactive, like Wayne School-Based Health Center, like the Innovation District. Uh, there, there's lots of other examples. So over time, uh, some donors have really enjoyed this tran- this Shaping Tomorrow process, and we recently, it's been public, we've recently worked with uh, Tom Hagan to create a transformational process. We put it on steroids more than shaping tomorrow and say, let's swing for the fences. Let's try to really, you know, change the trajectory of our community through some large and smart strategic investments. So that started three years ago. Round one was, uh, I believe it was $4 million for the Innovation District, $4 million for the Community College, which is still in process. We made some large grants for neighborhood revitalization, and we started the community schools, uh, or we we supported the community schools effort. Round two was relatively smaller, because we were still working on round one, and that was a a series of 10, roughly $200,000 grants to uh, support a number of causes. All the while, we're planning for round three, which is when we're into right now, and in round three, we said, we can't do this every year, let's create a five-year framework to help. Us and help the community. So this five-year framework, I think, is quite significant. Uh, The first step is we've doubled our traditional helping today budget uh, from five hundred thousand to a million, and it's sustainable through an endowment that we've built. So that's a big deal. And if you add that up, that's five million over five years. The second step, which is also a big deal, is we've we know that we will have fifteen million dollars to award to um, some larger projects in the community. And what we're looking for are things that will generate a, a large economic benefit, that can bring matching dollars in, that have a strong champion, that can get something over the finish line. And we are now accepting white papers on for people that have good ideas there. Uh, that's 15 million. The third step is something brand new we've never done, uh, which is also a big deal, Is this endowment that we talked about of roughly 250 or 60 million dollars we're going to carve out 10 million to invest locally in nonprofit projects that are good and solid but for some reason aren't bankable so they talk about capital stacks people find money you know in different different people will fund different things and there's usually a gap and we hope this $10 million will fill that gap on some big projects. And we'll, again, we'll help get some things over the finish line. So this is all a work in progress. It's it's $30 million. It's what we're going to be doing over the next five years. And what will success look like? Well, we hope we have a heck of a lot more Helping Today grants out there. And a lot more people, those $5,000, 10000 20000 $30,000 grants, a lot more ballparks with... Um, uh, fences to use that ex- first example, we hope that we'll have, you know, maybe five, six multimillion dollar grants that are out in the community that will bring jobs, will help, you know, renovate our downtown, you know, build on the innovation or on, on the Erie downtown development corporation, which we've also invested in, in two and a half million dollars. And then we think there's some projects in Erie that will, um, You know, they're great ideas, they're on paper, but they need that last, you know, million dollars of uh, financing. And we can be a patient investor, and uh, we're not looking for market rate returns there. We're willing to say, let's put, you know, know, in our world, a relatively small amount of money, but significant, and get a, uh, you know, maybe a below market return, but we do something great for the community. I mean, that's a paradigm shift to actually take uh, principle and pour it into the community, right? No doubt. Never been done before uh, by us. It's been done around the country and we've learned from some of the best. And we, you know, we have a committee that's being formed and we are currently you know, looking at some ideas. So this will be a slow rollout. You know, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but um, we hope it is, you know, a game changer.
0: Finally, y- y'all made uh, national news several years ago when the anonymous donor left $100 million to multiple charities around the region. That gift was a- an- another game changer, very visible, like at the Erie City Mission 11th and French. Do you think that there's other benefactors out there to willing to make an Elisha T. Mack kind of impact on Erie?
2: Well, I hope so, and I hope they're listening to your show right now. <laughs> uh, they you could n- be. You never know. Um, one of the things... We pride ourselves on is we're not a fundraiser, although we bring in millions of dollars every year, multiple 20 million. You know we work with donors when they're ready. Uh, the community foundation is not for everybody, um, except maybe Erie gives day that's you know broad-based philanthropy, but we're interested in talking with people who are want to create a legacy, uh, they want to do something that will benefit our community forever, and you know no amount of fundraising pressure will you know, cause someone to make that decision. So we're here, uh, we market ourselves to high net worth individuals and professional advisors. And when the time is right, we'll sit down and have a conversation. If it works, terrific. If it doesn't work, it's okay. And, uh, that's the style, that's the approach we've used and, it, and it's worked very, very well in, in, Erie and, uh, and for our community foundation.
0: Thank you, Mike Batchelor. He is the president of the Erie Community Foundation. We're glad to have with us uh, Tracy Daly. She's the president of the board and the co-founder of Emma's Footprints. Welcome to the Joel Natalie Show. Hi, Tracy. Joel. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, you're kind of give us, giving a perspective of kind of a um, of a nonprofit that's kind of new and kind of small. It's you know a lot of volunteers, a couple of paid staff, but uh, and then in a little bit later we'll talk to a large social service agency that's involved, but. You know, let's talk about your uh, origin story. This is a family show. Um, how did you come up to? Have you grown up in Erie, or did, were you a transplant? How did you get to Erie?
3: Um, I grew up in Edinburgh. Okay. So I am a I am a Lancer. Graduated from General McLean High School. <laughs> nice. Um, I went away for college to Tampa, um, but you know, brought yeah. God brought. Me did back you do to Broadway area. dinner? No, I played sports. Okay. <laughs> Not that you can't do both, no, but that's right, um, yeah. I was very played three sports and very wow. involved in that. So
0: What were your what were your sports? What Volleyball, did you basketball
3: and softball.
0: Oh my goodness.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So this yeah.
0: Do you have a decent seasons when you were a senior or?
3: well, I was kind of I'm kind of in the Hall of Fame at McLean. Oh. So <laughs> I didn't know it was, this. It we're, was okay. I we're, did okay.
0: We're, we're, you know, we're in rarefied air here, Tracy <laughs> Daly. Yes. Uh, we'll have to ask Rick Scaletta, That's, you know, but the, yes, the Hall of Fame,
3: Yes, right? he was my principal.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Back in the day. So, uh, okay. So, you know, at where you look as as a leader of a nonprofit uh, and, and kind of that, that 30,000 foot view, what would you say the state of nonprofits in Erie is?
3: Um, I mean, that's, that's a great question. When you asked me to be on the show and the topic, I was like, Oh, do I, do I know anything about that? Can I speak to that? You know, I mean this, like you said, we're a young nonprofit, um, in May, this will be our sixth year Mm -hmm. and I totally started this by myself. Um, you know, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't dream to run a nonprofit when I was little, so I didn't know, I don't, I didn't know much about it. So what I'm learning, I'm just, it's everyday on the job training for me, um, And I just realized nonprofits, they're critical. Um, And like you said, everybody is affected by nonprofits. Um, So we're just doing our thing and helping a lot of people.
0: You know, Emma's Footprints was founded in the memory of, of your daughter, Emma Catherine Daly, who was born into heaven since 2013. Emma has been walking with pregnancy and infant loss families in their grief journeys, providing care and support as they travel down this difficult and often lonely path, Emma's ensures that no family has to walk alone. And again, you you you're impacting uh, families every every day, every week, aren't you?
3: Every day, every week, and um, I I walked alone for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where that our mission got birth from and what a heavy mission. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's like people, when I bring it up, they they'll say, Oh, I, you know, I see your logo or, Oh, I've seen that. What do you guys do? And I always say, okay, it's going to get really sad for a minute.
0: Okay. I'm going to bring
3: you down, but then I'm going to give you hope and I'm going to bring you back up <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because we're helping these families. So it's, um, yeah, you said it all.
0: Well, let's talk about what you do. Like, what are the, what are the functions you provide? Emotional support, compassionate guidance and financial assistance for burial, cremation, memorialization, and counseling services for families gi- uh, grieving infant and pregnancy loss. So can we talk about some stories, how your organization has facilitated healing after these horrible losses?
3: Yeah. So first of all, I just want to say we help from um, an early miscarriage. You know, if you were four six weeks along up into uh, if the baby was a year old. So um, we get a lot of SIDS babies that pass. Um, so that's where our mission is you know, encapsulates. And, um, you know, when we lost Emma, it was, I was eight months pregnant, totally, um, a surprise. And your world is just turned upside down in a second. And I mean, I woke up that morning, everything was fine. And, and then it wasn't. Um, so having, you know, then I had to deliver her and then you're just bombarded with these questions of, do you want to bury? Do you want to cremate? You know what funeral home, and wow. you you can't even breathe. You're just yeah. you're in shock, and you don't even know what is happening.
0: So, are you? Do you almost have like a case management approach where you're you're you know stepping in right there at at that at that moment, or do you do you get called that early into we do. the and, process? Yeah,
3: and we um we love when that happens because you know all of those questions are thrown at you in the hospital. Yeah, and you, you have to answer them. I mean, it's super time sensitive and, you know, I didn't even know of any funeral homes, you know, when right. we had to choose, well, where do you go? What do we want to do? You don't even have time to think. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're in the hospitals and I love when the social workers hand the our brochures to the family and say, call them, you know, they can help walk beside you. Um, and so for the first three years of the organization, I, I had the phone, I answered every phone call. And when
0: you say the phone, it's, it sounds like you it's had like a, a bat
3: phone. <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you, you had basically a, 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 cellular phone that was the phone.
3: Yes. When, every time it rings, I mean, wow. You know, unless it's like a telemarketer or something, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's it's somebody, a story. It's oh a, my. it's a life, you know? Um, it's, and How do
0: you, I, I, I just, I know you went through it, but to take on all this other loss and grief, How do you steal yourself for that?
3: Um, I mean, it's, it's Jesus and it's his, um, you know, what he's done for me. I, I would have never thought I'd be doing this. Um, I fought with him when I felt, you know, I say that my heart, like it was pulled to start this and I had many conversations. I'm like, God, no, no. So I I also have three boys at home. Um, Emma was our second. So we had a little guy at home and then two more boys after him and, My boys were young. Yeah. Um, You know, my husband, and I have a business. He, he works really hard so I can stay home. And, you know, I was like, I don't have time for this. No. And it was just like, you're doing this. You're doing this (laughs) here. It's like, I don't, what does this mean? There was lots of fighting. So this was the the
0: call that you got.
3: This is my, my mission in life. This is my calling. Um, tried to quit it. You know, we quit a lot because this, it's so hard and it's so heavy, but then to be on the phone, you know, when the family calls and we get to tell them you know, we're going to cover the the expense for you and just the emotion that comes from the other end of the phone is it's just, you know, I wish I could record it and, and, and just convey that to people. Um, just lift that burden off of them so they can start to grieve. You know, if you're trying to figure out how do we pay for this Mm -hmm. and you just get angry because you shouldn't even have to do this and this isn't right and it's not fair. And so we can take that burden off a family. Um, Grieving can start and you have to walk through it. And, you know, we help pay for counseling and headstones um, and what we love doing that. But the heart of our mission is then to follow that family and walk beside them because grief is messy and it's lonely and it's ugly. And um, it's an honor when a family lets us in their grief story and and, in their grief journey.
0: Well, we're talking to Tracy Daly. She's the president and board uh, and the co-founder of Emma's Footprints. If you have a question for her, 679 1080 is our local number to anybody uh in the ear exchanges it's a you know you can just dial it on your cell uh of course don't uh, call or text and drive we do take texts at that number though as well 6791080 uh, you know um the uh the 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 counseling services uh, you know are you do you do you bring in professionals or is it is it peer counseling? Talk a little bit about that.
3: So we have an amazing licensed clinical social worker. Her name is Pam Pressler, who we refer to for individual counseling. Um so we really try to get if we get those families in those first moments, you know, we I wanna take their hands and I wanna take them to her couch and sit them down and say, You need to do this for your health and you know, for your marriage or, you know, relationship. Um so we have that. We have a peer to peer support program. Um, so we have a care team, moms. We have 24 moms that we've all been there. We've all had a loss. All different stories. Um, you know, from early miscarriage to SIDS to uh, a life limiting diagnosis. That we will will match up the new moms with. So you know, often in the middle of the night after you lost your home and you can't sleep and you feel crazy, it's just nice to be able to text that mom and say you know, I'm struggling and, and the mom, you know, get back to you. Okay. It's normal. Talk to me. Cause you feel like nobody understands too. Yeah. Um, and then we have a monthly support group that meets. Um, so those are our three, uh, main things that we're doing right now for support.
0: How, how uh, broad has it become now? Uh, you you're, you're branching off beyond Northwestern Pennsylvania. You get calls Elsewhere, don't you?
3: We cut it calls all over the country. <laughs> I, was gonna,
0: I was gonna say, I mean, uh yeah.
3: Um, but we're in so we're you know, we're in a UPMC, we're in St. Vincent's, um, mm. and then we're in UPMC in, in Pittsburgh, you know, McGee, wow. um, Forbes, Children's, West Penn, and it's it still blows my mind how the calls that we're getting that really there's not a lot of organizations like this in the country. Um, so wow. it's just we're being bombarded with with people and every, so every family um, we've helped almost 800 to, to date and um, every family will get a care package. And and we have in that, we have a necklace with the baby's initial or we have little footprints. If it's a, a miscarriage um, there's a journal, there's a copy of the new Testament. We'll add books, um, you know, if it's a, a miscarriage loss, we'll like add a miscarriage book and specific like that in, in Emma's Footprints pouch. Um, and if you're local to the Erie area, we have an amazing massage therapist, Sarah Hudik, that puts a massage gift certificate in there um, just to you know, help the, the moms be able to self-care. Sure. So we've sent those. We sent those all over the world, actually. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We have one to send to the Philippines right now. <laughs> do you really? really <laughs> <laughs> do.
0: Put the extra postage on that Yes,
3: one. yes.
0: Tr- Tracy Daly, uh, she's uh, from Emma's. Footprints. Um, let let kind of put your CEO hat on for a second here. Again, I'm I'm emotional, but <laughs> we'll 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 turn uh, change gears here. Let's talk about the aspects of leading a nonprofit with donors and volunteers and staff. You know, what are some of the triumphs and what are some of the challenges of leading a donor based organization? Because I mean, again, it, there's not a lot of staff there. There's not a lot of there there as far as paid staff. And, you know, pe- you know, you guys are still picking up the phone like that.
3: Oh, yeah. And we respond immediately. Um, and my staff is amazing. Um, yeah, it is a challenge. It's a challenge because for me, when I have to put that CEO hat on, the board president hat and do all of the the paperwork and the committees and the, um, you know, all of that, it takes me from the mission, which... You know, I didn't start a nonprofit to go do all the paperwork and to fill out the forms and to to upkeep with that. But but that is my job. So I, I, I do have to do that. But I but I want to be there in the mission. Um, but I feel like, you know, God has brought the people in my life to, to be able to carry that on. Um, this this organization will not grow without without those volunteers. But I've, I've learned so many things. <laughs> um, and I have a lot more to learn, but I have a great team.
0: I was going to say, you sound like you have a, a pretty strong board, you know, that, like, a, like a board that actually, you know, it, instead of just kind of advising you to do things, they kind of jump right in and are running the books and running the marketing. And, you know, uh, talk a little bit about that, because that's a, a different paradigm than a lot of folks uh, deal with.
3: Yeah. And that's, I wouldn't know that because I've never been on a board, you know, so this is, this is a whole new experience for me, right. but so I think I have the best board in the world. And I
0: think you, you have a pretty good one right yes, there. Yeah. Um,
3: I mean, Pam, our, our counselors on our board, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have professionals, um, Joe Minio, shout out. I know you're listening. He's our treasurer. He's a retired school teacher. Um, Joe, you keep me in line and you yeah. keep me up to date. Um, they're just, they're all passionate about our mission. Either it's personally touched their lives or they've seen families that we've helped and they they are all just ready to to get on board um and i'm so thankful for them i could not do it without them
0: yeah uh you know what would you say that your biggest need is when you when you're kind of you, you you'd love to like kind of you know shout from the rooftops we really need help with what
3: um oh, that's a good question i would if you would have if this interview would have been six months ago, I would have said an office because we've been working out of coffee shops for five and a half years. Um, But we were blessed last year with office space that we're currently renovating and it's on West eighth street. Um, So what another part of it I love is we're right next door to our West Bayfront, a nonprofit Mm -hmm. and their mission is to revitalize that whole strip of West eighth street. So we get to be a part of that too.
0: So you're more in closer to town. Yes. Yeah. We're
3: going to be up in the city. That's kind of
0: a funky part of town. I'm so
3: excited. (laughs) We have to renovate the office. My husband uh, is a contractor. Okay. Um, Well, that helps. So yes, he is. He's well, I mean, he's Emma's dad, so he's kind of got to do the work, but Mm. um, I'm, you know, thankful he's, he's willing to do that. So we get to, we get to help, you know, what Mike was talking about with the, um, the innovation district and, you know, we get to help with the, the revitaliz- revitalization of Erie um, by mm. bringing an office down there. So we, you know, cause we don't have a space to meet our families and we're meeting them in coffee shops and it's loud and there's people and they're sad. Um, wow. So there's, I mean, there's a thousand reasons we need an office, but that is, that's happening. Um, so to answer your question, cause I didn't really answer your question. Mm. What do we need? I think just um, getting the word out of Of who we are, and it's it's more about I want to help families. Um, you know, the money will come, the volunteers come, all of that stuff comes, and it, usually in places I don't expect it, but it's just you know when a family feels alone like that I want those families, I want to bring those families into what we do and to sit there and hear their story and to say their baby their baby's name with them and just let them feel loved. Um, because there's a lot of people walking around with that hurt.
0: Interesting. Uh, we're talking to uh, Tracy Daly. It's interesting you say how uh, a space can be super missional. You know, uh, especially when you're talking about giving, uh, having a safe space. And I, I think about the Women's Care Center, which is another uh, another um, organization that we're close to here. You know, I mean, yeah, you better have you know an environment that is uh, that uplifts that client that provides a safe space for that client. So that's super important.
3: And we've, you know, I mean, we're, I, we're a young nonprofit. Yeah. And a lot of people like Mike was talking about, they try to start a, a nonprofit and it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. Um, and I'm, I'm like, what, we're still here five and a half years in, <laughs> but, um, you know, so I didn't want to jump into that too early sure, either. Sure. Cause I'm like, I don't, you
0: you're, know. you're trying to scale it.
3: Yeah. Um, but it. we're just,
0: but 800 clients so far. Yeah. It Incredible. was two,
3: 270 just last year. And it, I mean, just growing wow. It's It's leaps got, and got the bell
0: curve engaged. Tracy, again, 800 clients, there's story after story talk about one of them so
3: many um it's it's a blessing for me because i get to talk about emma every day um and sometimes i have to turn it off and and not you know i don't talk about it but because my boys we i mean emma is is um a constant she's constantly brought up in our home so so sometimes i have to stop them from talking about her but we were in um cbs in edinburgh in the fall and um I mean, I look young. Okay, Joel, right? Yeah. So yeah I look 18. Yeah. Okay, I'm 36. <laughs> and I have three boys. So sometimes I get looks like you're young and you have these three boys. You <laughs> oh, know. seriously? It's, it's fine. It's we're good. so yeah, inappropriate, I'm Well, you though. know, I mean, I just respond kindly. Yes. So the cashier was an older lady and mm. um, we were checking out and, you know, she's like, oh, three boys. And, and, and I get this a lot. Three boys, are you going to try for a girl? And, you know, oh, like... My. You know, no, I'm so busy, you know, we're good. This, you know, and because my boys, I I have a 13 year old, a nine year old and a seven year old. So my little one, my seven year old, it's, you know, cute little face. He's like, well, we have a sister and she's in heaven and. And, uh, as he's like running out of CVS because they don't stop long for anything. And, um, she like looks at me with these eyes. I was like, Ooh, okay. Mm, yeah. I should follow up with that. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of explained to her, well, you know, I had a little girl and you know, she passed away eight months. You know, I was eight months pregnant and she like comes from behind the, the cashier thing and she starts telling me her lost story. Wow. And it was 50 years ago. And just, I mean, she just starts bawling in the middle of CVS and I'm hugging her and I, I could just, I could tell she hadn't talked about her daughter in a long time yeah. um, and just shared a moment, you know, with her. And I, I'm sure if I wanted to, I, that happens more than I can even count. Um, I'm out. I start talking about what I do. People just open up and they want to talk. They want to say their baby's name. They want to share their story. And it's kind of a taboo subject. And nobody sits down with you and says, tell me about your loss. And,
0: and, you know, think about, you know, the taboo subject from, you know, the 20 teens versus the 60s and 70s. Oh, my goodness. Uh, There was no infrastructure. There was no support system. And I mean, uh, they did. Yeah. And,
3: you know, I hear stories of they took the baby because they thought it was best that the mom didn't see them. So some didn't even get to see their babies or and my heart just breaks. Um, But and, and so we we don't help. We don't it's not only families that have a loss right now. I mean, we, I went back into CVS and I gave that woman a care package. Did you really? And you know, with the, I asked her daughter's name, we put the initial of the necklace. So it does, it doesn't matter how long your loss was ago. Um, you know, we either can help you through your grief or you have something to offer other moms in their grieving journey.
0: That is so such a special story. So because this is such a, a heart wrenching subject, you guys have an amazingly fun time when you fundraise. We really do. So tell me about the gala.
3: It is March 2nd at the Ambassador. What's it called? Is it? It's, it's our winter gala.
0: Winter gala. Yes. Okay.
3: Um, and, and it's winter outside, so that was <laughs> I guess
0: it goes, yeah, it goes. Uh, March now. 2nd.
3: Tickets are available on our website, emissaprince.com. It's $75 a ticket. Um, and we, we throw a party that we want to attend. It's, it's really nice. Sit down, dinner, desserts, dancing. Um, but, you know, we have a mission moment. Um, because it, our mission is heavy. So you might need some Kleenexes if you come, but all of the money goes, we've, we've said yes to every family that has called us and needed help with funeral expenses. And it's just such a blessing.
0: So, so the, the provision has been there. Erie, again, is generous.
3: They are, they are amazing. I'm proud to live here and to, they, they always come through.
0: We are talking about the state of nonprofits and uh just uh, again a total uh amazing uh, uh amazing thread of information and, and and emotion and excitement for for what these agencies do in our community and how our quality of life is enhanced and we're going to talk now to ray overholt he's uh uh from the hermitage house you're the executive director and and thank you so much for being a part of this ray you're welcome we're we're having a a pretty amazing conversation and uh you know this is a family show so let's before we get started into the heavy stuff uh, how'd you come up are are you a erie native or a local native or are you transplant how'd you get here
4: i'm a chicago area native okay and i came to edinburgh they recruited me for basketball and baseball and I never left.
0: So, oh, we love that when 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 right. when young people come to uh, to come for college and they just fall in love with the area. So I've been around
4: for forty five, fifty years here. That's my, amazing. My kids are townies, but I guess I'll never be one. <laughs> You'll <laughs> never be a townie. A <laughs> hundred years, I get to be a townie. I don't know.
0: So so what? So how? Would you play at basketball? The forward or guard?
4: guard. I was. Yeah. Yeah, on basketball, all my years I've been basketball, I've always considered myself short, and now I go to church and I can look over a lot of people's heads because <laughs> right. I'm not that short, right, I'm five right. eleven. But uh, yeah, on that basketball team, I'm considered short in the college level anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah, lots of fun, I bet. Oh yeah, a
4: lot of memories, a lot of Neat. good stuff.
0: All right, so where you sit as as the CEO of a of a, a nonprofit, what do you think the state of nonprofits are in in the Erie area?
4: Well the uh, Erie's I think a pretty good area for nonprofits. I think we have pretty good support. Uh we are fortunate to have uh that kind of support and like the Erie Com- Community Foundation is a big thing for a lot of the uh, nonprofits um and not every town has that. Um not that we use them a lot, but um they've been there for us a few times and they've been very helpful and supportive. So they give nonprofits a good name, I guess you'd say. Um, so, yeah, there's that piece of it. And um, nonprofits in general, though, I think my opinion is that they're struggling in the sense of a lot of things. What It's always been a money thing with nonprofits, but even the image of nonprofits has taken a hit in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years with more and more are, are fighting the whole property tax thing and, okay. you know, those kind of things. And people used to always smile at you and say oh that's great and now they're like they don't it's almost like some people resent the tax breaks and stuff although we personally at hermitage do pay property taxes but a lot of places don't and i think that's good that they don't because if you think about it if you charge them extra things then that's just got to be raised out of the public right. anyway yeah. so it's kind of silly but that's what's going on and then, and now that might apply to some big business type nonprofits like a hospital or a school or something sure. that might be a different story but your average nonprofit that's just struggling to get by they don't need that extra uh burden shall we say
0: right well and again you know there's a very specific formula you know whether or not you are i mean you could still be a nonprofit designated by the uh the IRS right. on a national right. level but not necessarily meet the all the criteria at the local or state level insofar as, you know, relieving a burden, um, you know, from the, from the government charitable place. Yes, Yes. exactly. Um, And so, yeah, there's actually, actually quite a few nonprofits that pay property taxes or, you know, and, and, and do all that stuff. Uh, let's talk about your nonprofit, the Hermitage house, the philosophy of treatments based on the belief that a balance between caring support and consistent discipline with appropriate counseling and therapeutic intervention can make the difference in a life of a troubled youth. So let's talk about what essentially, Herman and Chow says, you're, 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 are you part of the criminal justice system for youth?
4: Yes, uh, to some degree we are. I mean, we, we get our kids from juvenile probation and children and youth. So there's those two categories of each county has uh, those two systems. But the same judges are the ones that uh, see the kids. So you have a child that has issues, whether it's juvenile probation or children and youth, it's the same judges, um, the same ones that everybody else uses for um, uh, the the adult system, too. It's the same judges in Erie, and and each county has the same two categories. So we, we deal with probably six or seven counties in the area, but Erie's our biggest customer by far.
0: But every 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 uh one of the youth that are that are in treatment at, at the Hermitage House have been in front of a judge and are been directed to yes, to attend yes. there. Every so
2: one of them
4: yeah. And it's get, not
0: like somebody says, I I, I I wanna come and 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 learn and be counseled.
4: No, there, it just it would be pretty unaffordable for anybody to do mm-hmm. that. We would be allowed to do that with okay. the type of you know, you sign a certain number of contracts or something, but we don't do that. It's right. just impractical and
0: um we just don't go there. So is it like a step-down, let's say, from m Thomas? Is that is that... Yeah, we fill a the... gap.
4: We're called group homes. Um, when you're in the system, you they try to counsel you at home, and then if that doesn't work, foster homes, and then if that doesn't work, group homes are next. But if they don't work with us, they might go to a lock-up like... Like Tom, the Thomas well, Center. Well, the or... Thomas Center is a short-term thing, but yeah. there's
0: actually treatment
4: programs that are lock-ups.
0: Okay. Um, so you're on the way up to... Like almost juvenile incarceration.
4: Well, it's sometimes up to and sometimes after. They come the other direction from the lockups and they do okay for a while and they prove themselves to some degree. They put them with us as a step down. The idea being they go back into society at some point, so you got to step them down. Um, You know, our whole thing started way back in the day. In uh, 74, we started thinking that if you could intervene in a youth, in the life of a youth, you have a chance to change them. But the longer you wait, the more ingrained it is, it's like human nature to change people around. It's difficult, so.
0: What, what are some of these kids uh, saddled with? What are what are some of the issues? Is it a lot of anger? Is it is it, were the homes uh, really tough places? Or are they just acted out or just really made stupid mistakes? Well, there's a whole
4: variety, like a spectrum. Um, okay. There, there could be family issues. That could be um, actual delinquent acts where they did something wrong, but... By and large, there's some family issue going on in a lot of the cases, and, and I would point to absent fatherhood as a huge part of it. Wow,
0: that keeps on coming up over yeah. and over again, right?
4: I mean, I've been there for, I was talking to Joel earlier about this, is my 44th year there, and I could count on my hand and fingers and toes probably the amount of times that a natural family, mom and dad, birth mom and dad, have a kid at Hermitage House. Very rare.
0: Out of out of hundreds of kids that have been through, probably thousands, yeah. Wow. So yeah, so that's it's an amazing
4: thing. If you know, mom and dad stick together, it's way better for the kids.
3: And I know that's hard to
4: do sometimes, right. but but that I've we've noticed that. So absent fathers, stepfathers, they do their best, but it's hard sometimes.
0: So 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 the 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 kid is in the system, and he comes to you, and then. Um, you uh, you have this support and discipline uh, mixture that uh, that is that is remedial that tries to bring them uh, to uh, uh, you know kind of being in, what, what what happens what's what are the outcomes that you're looking for?
4: Um, each kid's different. They get an individual plan within uh, thirty days, and they, each kid has a different life thing he's going through different problems so we try to address them individually even though we have a system that's kind of generally an overview of you know following rules and that kind of things but there's still specifics to that particular youth it would channel the kind of counseling he may get or she we have girls too um it would be the the word these days is called evidence-based so you're supposed to use evidence-based procedures that actually do have Show that they work. Uh, we've done become trauma-informed lately. That's a new thing in the last three, four yeah, I've years. Yeah, have been hearing
0: a lot about that.
4: So you're trying to understand where the kid's coming from, what happened in his life to make him react how he does. Almost everybody has authority figure issues. Okay. <laughs> and trust issues and, and things like that because of their upbringing hasn't been the best, usually. And so there you got to overcome that. We get them for probably... <laughs> four to six months at least, and then there's a review hearing, and then it could be longer, up to a year, and sometimes even longer because we have a, the group homes, we also have independent living program. And that's for kids who uh, don't really have a place to go home to or they don't want to go there or they're just too old. They're going to be 18 and time to move on. So we try to prep them for
0: the real world. So so they kind of come out of the treatment part and, and 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 you're providing some housing and support, is is that an accurate? Uh...
4: Uh, kinda. I okay. mean, there's still um there's less structure, but there's still counseling and some therapy going on yeah. and helping them. There's a lot of job um readiness things we do oh, and job practice good. things. Um, Hermitage House probably seven eight years ago started the thrift store and we rent tables and chairs and tents, and we make picnic tables. So, all those things the kids are involved with, so sure. that we can give them a little money for their work and they can learn those kind of skills and learn to work with a crew and learn to listen to a boss. And those are important things for down the road. Otherwise, can't hold a job, you know?
0: <laughs> so, teaching the soft skills even to kids that uh, find themselves in trouble. We're talking to Ray Overholt from Hermitage House. We have Ray Overholt with us here. And we appreciate him. He's the executive director of Hermitage House, talking about kind of it's a large uh, nonprofit organization. You just said over 80 staff. And um, uh, uh, Ray, uh, how many clients do you handle at any given time?
4: Well, we typically are in the mid 40s for uh, the, the residential part because we have to staff them, you know, 24 hours a day. 365 a year and then we don't just put one staff on we have two or three staff
0: gonna say your ratios are um, strong yeah
4: which is better than the the minimum requirements are like eight to one but we're more like four or five to one okay so these are kids who need the attention of more than just you know we just want to warehouse and we want to work with them and, and make connections relationship is strong we believe in that we want staff who can connect with the kids guide them and get them to be on board with their own rehabilitation, not just follow rules. You know, I mean, the judge wants them to learn to follow rules because that's what society needs. And, but if you don't make interchange, it's not going to stick with them very Very well. Mm -hmm. So that's how we try to get to there. And you know, with our staff doing that building relationships and our therapists doing the same thing. And the whole system is, we try not to be institutional. All of our group homes are family oriented i mean staff are their shift style but we eat they eat together they cook together they do the laundry the kids learn to do laundry the kids cook with staff oversight of course and um so forth so they try to run it that way the The units run from 8 to 12 is maximum okay. number of kids we're usually at about 80 percent of that okay depends um so it's kind of a big group but they, um, they get a you know, that's, they learn it's okay. It's like being at camp all the time. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now your organization is a little different than what we've, uh, what we've talked about uh, earlier insofar as it is a fee for service. You, you are, uh, receiving, re, uh, reimbursements from, or you, or you charge the state, uh, you know, to, uh, do your services to do this rehabilitation. Um, but is there still a place for donors to be involved with the Hermitage house?
4: Yes, for sure. Um, we uh, we do have an annual campaign that we try to raise some money. Um, our fundraising is only about 1% of our total needs, but the state, with all the budget issues, especially since 2008, has been very difficult for them to raise rates properly, and so we are always struggling to make ends meet. So, yeah, private fundraising is a great thing, um, and we do
0: it to some degree. What about capital campaigns? Is that is do they get involved with that? We
4: have not done that yet.
0: Okay, so we you could. you could. basically build out the uh, the the homes based on your reimbursements. Okay, wow. Sure, yeah. So and then of course you said that your your new uh, chaplain is uh, you know it can can be supported through gifts. That's true. Um, we have
4: a new chaplain, and he he has a family, and he says, "Well, I." the hermitage money for a chaplain is only enough for part-time. And he's like, well, could I be full-time if I raised my own money? And we said, well, sure, go ahead, (laughs) have at it. And he's been doing that and, and getting some support. And that's separate from that 1% I was talking about. That's kind of strictly just for the chaplain program. And so he has raised enough to be full-time and he starts here in February. Oh, great. So that'll be kind of neat. Uh, We have a guy that's been with us 16, 17 years, I think, and he's retiring. So.
0: What do you think the greatest challenge is of of running a nonprofit like yours for you?
4: Well, there's a number of them, but um, kind of the uncertainty kind of hangs over us all the time in the sense of we're fee for service, so we need kids to be able to bill for the kids, but yet we don't control that. It's in this system of judges and all that, and so we have to always do a good job, so they want to put kids with us and all that. But you know we're vulnerable to uh, budgets of counties and budgets of states. Um, we build the county actually, and the county gets some reimbursement from the states and the federal. So it's all connected. And it's all public money, and that's fine. Except that we're vulnerable in the sense of well, what if we only have half as many kids as we need? Then right. where's it going to come from? We don't have the kind of donor base that can write a huge check. We and have. we've
0: seen some uh, agencies there fee for service. In this, in this youth uh, rehabilitation um, area, they've started closing down, haven't they?
4: Exactly, and Ganondale comes to mind. Um, they just couldn't make it at some point. And yeah. it's throughout the state and the nation, I think, but it's happening here and there. Um, they're trying to place kids less, which is an admirable goal, but I think we are needed for certain kids for a piece of their life to get them on track, and I don't think it can be done in foster homes. So that's that pressure also if less kids are in the system but some places are going under we're doing fine at the moment but yeah you know who knows a year or two from now what who you never know i've been saying that for 25 years i mean (laughs) there was a little time there we were very stable and growing and then it kind of tapered off and now it's
0: just um constantly working at it
4: you know i was gonna say
0: you probably are as affected about population loss as anybody any other the civic sector that we've been talking about well sure yeah just I like mean, the schools don't have enough less kids people. yeah, yeah exactly. less people and all that so schools are closing or com- are combining <laughs> and so on i want to we have like just a couple minutes left i want to pivot because you're involved in in uh, another non-profit that uh, does some really cool things in the na- in the neighborhood talk, talk about that
4: all right um I'm also the director of the Christian Institute of Human Relations, which is a corporation, 501c3, like the other one, and um, they are more the faith-based side of things, and they actually are um, a supporter of the Hermitage House in the sense of they provide the chaplain money for that part of the deal, and um, they are supportive of Hermitage when they want to grow or something, Let's do what we can to support them, and so and, forth. And
0: if anyone has heard of that name before, they might remember it connected with the this the special place in Edinburgh for many years called the Hangout. That's what I remember. But it does a lot more stuff now, right? Well, yeah, the
4: Hangouts had been in limbo for a bunch of years, and yeah. but we're still like the um, what you might call the governing body of them. And because of our status as a established place. We've had a couple of people come under our umbrella lately, and for instance, you young adults with Adam and Danielle Freno, they, they needed someone to be there, you know under the cover, covering, and yeah. we have the insurance, and we have all those kind of things. And we also have the uh, campus ministry of Edinburgh came under us the oh, other a couple years ago. And there's a place called House of Hope in Cambridge Springs, uh, outreach for women and Burial Women's Services in Edinburgh started under us, but they went off and became uh, independent of us with their own board and so forth. So we're kind of there and um, looking for, not looking for things, but things kind of fall in our lap once in a while. To Hey, can you help us out a little bit? So
0: And, the, and all of those agencies, all of those uh, uh, charities uh, could use, you know, help with donors and help with
2: volunteers. They and so all on. do their own fundraising yeah. for their piece of it, yeah.